the volume. Hey, it's the sessions presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts, and more all month long, baby. And when you win, you get paid real fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. Such a cool feature. And you can combine multiple bets from the same game in a same game parlay to try out Same Game Parlay Plus. So download the FanDuel app today and start making every moment more. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Sessions. Aubrey Edwards is my guest today in the hot seat. Really fun having her on as the prominent female referee in AEW. Her and I got to meet for the very first time uh, when I was on commentary during the May Young Classic and she was in there as one of the referees and that was my first little foray into the world that is Aubrey Edwards and now seeing everything she's been able to do and the matches she's been able to be a part of and beyond that, which is really the fascinating thing to me about what Aubrey does, what so many different referees do. It's not just what you see in the ring. She is busy doing so many different things, whether it's on heels, doing, you know, kind of overseeing uh, stuff game-wise for AEW. She wears so many different hats, and she wears them well, and we break down all of it. We talk pro wrestling. We talk her life as a ballerina. Before getting into pro wrestling, we talk about her marriage. We talk about life on the road. All of that good stuff. Without further ado, guys, here she is, Aubrey Edwards. Just as we were queuing up, when you're like all waiting in the Zoom, waiting to get this thing up and running and giddy up, we were, we were all shooting the shit about Taco Bell. Um, I fucking love Taco Bell. I would say, hands down, it's the best of all of the fast food. So you're a vegan, so they correct, definitely, correct. you can hang there, right? What do you get? Right, and Taco Bell was one of the first actual fast food places that, like, actually made their stuff vegan. Like, maybe not made it specific, but allowed you to tweak things to create something that was vegan. Like, you can get a bean burrito with onions and some sauce, and you're good to go. You get two of those, and you're full, and when you're a broke college kid, that's like the best thing oh in the world, God, right? Oh my God, heaven. So, they've started adding more to their menu, like... They promote like Mexican pizzas without cheese and you can replace the beef with black beans and all these Shout out things. to Taco Bell. Yes. Dude, it's so good. All <laughs> the other fast food companies had to play catch up, but Taco Bell's been doing it for years. So does Taco Bell, they don't do the impossible meat, do they? Do they just do the, the bean substitute? Which as a non-vegan, is a bean substitute better than impossible meat? How, where do you stand on impossible it's different. Like I love impossible because it tastes and reminds me of what beef is, but I haven't had any beef since like 2008. So for me, it's like nostalgia, right? I was vegetarian for like 12 years before I went vegan. So it's been, it's been a while. How long have you been a vegan then? I've been a vegan since 2019. It was actually right before I started at AEW. How hard was it transitioning from being a vegetarian into being vegan? Cause that is like balls to the wall. We're in it to win it no substitutions. How's it been? It was really hard initially because cheese is my favorite food. And I was definitely one of those like, when it's late at night, and you need a snack, go to the fridge, grab a bag of cheese and just eat a handful. So like changing that whole habit was really hard. Yeah. And fake cheese is not the same. I don't feel like fake cheese substitutes the same way. It's better now than it was. Like there's a lot of progression that's happened in food science in the last five years even. So if you ate vegan cheese five years ago, yeah, it was trash. But the vegan cheese nowadays, and there's certain brands that like Violife is really good because it's coconut based, so it actually melts. 
Borson does a good little um, no dairy situation and it's quite good. Yeah, those little baby bell cheeses, they actually make a non-dairy version of those now. They come in like little green rubber wrappers instead of the red. Is it the same brand or is it like a... a, like a? It's the same brand. Really? That's brilliant. Yeah, I think everybody's getting in on it just because there's so much money in people doing like either Meatless Mondays or people just kind of watching their health and whatnot. I really love meat substitutes. I eat meat. I kind of eat everything. But I like even in catering, I find our like meat substitute stuff. I'm always drawn to it. I love it. There's something about the texture of it or like, I don't know. There's something just about it that I really love. I'm drawn to it. They use a lot of really quality meat-based substitutes. Like my favorite, this is just like a whole on me promoting vegan brands of stuff now, but there's... <laughs> it started Taco Bell, but now we're in the weeds. We're in it. <laughs> it it's a natural progression. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's this brand called Gardein and you could get it pretty much every grocery store in the freezer section. It's just a bag. And like their chicken strips are the absolute best. I eat them every day. And the catering at work has figured out like those brands are really good. So whenever they have like a chicken-based dish, like they'll include that. Whenever they have a fish-based dish, like Gardein has these awesome fish fillets. It's a really good brand. And it's like high protein still. Like obviously there's still some carbs to it, but it's, it's almost impossible to avoid carbs when you're vegan. Lita is a huge vegan. Anytime I would be traveling with her on the road, she had introduced me to a ton of great stuff. But while I was kind of, I was never, I was never like dabbling of thinking like, oh, I'm going to do this. I think I was just, I don't know. I was just checking it out. But I did this butternut squash mac and cheese which was so good. It was incredible. And then we went to, gosh, I'm going to draw a blank on the name of, it was in Brooklyn. I think that she's got like a whole brand, but um, uh, it was this shiitake bacon that, and I made it at home. It blew my fucking mind. It was, it doesn't taste like bacon, but it was just like, ah, so good. Yeah. Vegan bacon, they haven't figured out yet, but there's a smoky vegan tempeh that I get every week. That's real good. Anyways, well, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so you are up in Adam. You are in Seattle. Of course, we know that you are West Coast, Pacific Standard Time. We're doing this at 1030 Eastern Time. So it is like early rising for you. You like to get shit done early. I've always been a morning person. I think part of that came from I worked like office jobs before this. So nine to five, like you're getting up early, you're getting ready, you're driving to work, busing to work, whatever it may be. And then you have to be productive by 9 a.m. A lot of cases, because I was working management roles, I would try to get to work before other people so that I could get a handle on my day before everyone else came in and just kind of blew off wherever I was going and just like, okay, now I have to worry about this stuff. So I've always been a morning person and my husband still works in games, so he has to be up early. So kind of just makes sense. Like I'm normally recording unrestricted at 7 a.m. So this was nice because I had like an extra half hour to like fully get ready I'm on my second cup of coffee rather than my first. You're getting a good version of Aubrey. Yeah, I'm deep in the coffee throws right now. I'm just like, get, I, Nora was sick all weekend, so I'm like kind of white knuckling. And I'm like, what's happening? But the coffee is helping. Um, management roles. That's always been a thing for you. So for you to step into AEW, rattle off what all of the roles are that you do. We see you obviously in front of the camera. We see you, you know, in the matches, refereeing. What else do you do? You wear a lot of fucking hats. I do wear a lot of hats. So yeah, I do a lot of stuff at AEW. My formal title is I'm Senior Project Manager. And that sounds very singular, but I obviously have a lot of projects I manage. What are the projects? Game stuff to heal stuff to whatever else may come up. So as I mentioned, I'm co-host for AEW Unrestricted, official podcast, new episodes every Thursday. That's kind of what I started with when I was working the office contract side stuff. And then someone got a hold of my resume at one point and went, wait, she worked on games for like 10 years? I'm like, yeah, okay. So I'm working in AEW Games, which is our games sort of umbrella. And I'm working on a number of games for them right now that I can't quite talk about yet. And then uh, I run AEW Heels, which is our uh, female forward fan club. So we've been building sort of a community of women and female identifying wrestling fans that can come together and share in their love of wrestling, but also create these friendships that kind of are difficult to form in wrestling because you don't have a lot of other women that you can enjoy this thing with. And there's so much gatekeeping with like, oh, you're a, you're a wrestling fan? Well, who won the main event of 
1985 in whatever pay-per-view, blah, blah, blah. And if you don't prove it, then you suddenly feel like you don't belong. And that's how a lot of women fall out of it. But it's not even just wrestling. That's in many different like categories. It's in comic books. It's in video games. It's everything that was traditionally male dominated as hobbies. But yeah, so we've been building that. And then I just do random projects that come up. So my real boring example that sounds super impressive is recently Chris Peck, who does a lot of like legal stuff for AEW. He's been building our uh, digital privacy policy, which has to be GDPR compliant. So we have to account for like certain rules in the UK that factor in like 12 year olds and how much information we're potentially saving. Oh my yeah. gosh. So it's, it's a lot of just like, yeah. And it's like, I have experience in this stuff because I've released products in other countries and you have all these regulations that you have to follow. So yeah, I kind of just do whatever. <laughs> I mean, I feel like wrestling is this in general where it's like, oh, this person does this thing. But then they also do a million other things like Bryce is out booking my travel. I'm like, how do you have time for that? Like your job as a referee is already time consuming in terms of like what a show day looks like, getting ready for matches, talking to talent, going through hair and makeup. You have a million different things to worry about. But then once you hang up that hat, you pop on another one and then it's off to the races with that. My question is, I don't even know if you can answer this. Does your contract like... Uh, does it? So I have two contracts. I have the talent contract, which looks a lot like any other talent contract. And I make that paycheck through that. And then I have an office contract, which is a completely separate paycheck. Okay. So mine's the same actually, but I don't do as much as you. You do a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm a workaholic. Uh, and I've, I've come to terms with that phrase. I'm just kind of like, yeah, no, I, I just work all the time. I like being busy. I like doing things. And I, I've always been a type of person that I want to help the companies that employ me. And especially being a part of AEW since the beginning, my big thing was I want to do whatever I can to help this company be successful because this is a pretty dope job. I want to have it forever if I can. So I know that there's more than just the television product we have on TV in order to make a company successful. So whatever I can do to help. Okay, I've got several follow-ups. First one, going back to the video game. So we've all been kind of waiting with bated breath. We hear about the video game. I know um, Kenny Omega had just recently been talking as well about the video game and what the rating is. Can you break down what the rating is and how that affects things in terms of its release and the level of goriness, all of those things? And is my husband at fault for that? Only slightly. Um, so I will, I will clarify, I'm not actually working on Fight Forever, the console game. I'm working on other stuff. Fight Forever is sort of Kenny's baby. So he's been doing that. I've been on other stuff the whole time. But everyone assumes I'm working on it because I'm the video game person. But to answer your question about ratings, so there's this company in games called the ESRB, the Electronic Software Ratings Board. And they have a rating that they assign to every single game. And there's generally different levels like E for everyone and T for teen and M for mature. So you end up hearing stories about like Grand Theft Auto is mature and then they had all these other things in it that come to light. So how your game is rated affects how it will do in other markets. Very traditional example is Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat had a lot of blood when it first came out and that upset a lot of people specifically in the UK because Germany had a lot of... uh, restrictions on how much blood you could have in a game. So they ended up changing the color of the blood to blue and it just like blue sweat. Uh, So they could get around sort of the ratings and the restrictions there. So a lot of ratings is similar to how it works on TV. So if you have any sort of swearing that changes the rating, if you have any sort of gore that changes the rating, is the violence actual violence or is it comic violence? Like, is it a, is, is there shooting in the game? There's all these different things that play into what the rating of your game is, and it just affects so much from there. It would be crazy to be on the board for something like that, kind of deciding what to go, what's up, because I'm sure a lot of stuff falls in like a bit of a gray area in terms of like really putting it through that sieve and figuring it all out. Okay. Heels. Um, How did the concept of heels come together? And I think, yeah, I just want to talk more about the female relationships that exist both in wrestling, like in the locker room, but also just with fans. But let's just start with the the origin story of putting heels together. So heels was originally created by Brandy Rhodes and it came out during the pandemic, which was a really, I mean, for all of us, it was a time where we needed to make connections because we weren't physically in the same space. So it was sort of this idea of we're going to have monthly 
Zoom sessions where the community gets on and we present content that is not accessible, but AEW related. So we would have talent on to do Q&As. We would bring uh, external partners that were adjacent to AEW. Like we've had uh, this one group, Self-Care is for Everyone. They do a lot for mental health. So we've brought them on a couple of times to talk about like managing your self-care and how you talk to yourself and positivity and all those sort of things. So when Brandy left, there was sort of a hole of who is taking this over. And Leva was already doing a lot of the work behind the scenes and she was helping Brandy with stuff. And I was starting to get more involved with heels. So it sort of became, without even discussing it, it's like, okay, well, Aubrey and Leva are taking it over. And there was so much work to do that we're like, how can we build a larger sort of leadership group to take this on? So we've incorporated Amanda Huber, who does a lot of work with community, since there's a lot of overlap with what heels does versus what community does and Vicky Guerrero, because she's always cared about this kind of stuff. So the four of us are sort of running this group of what are our monthly events? Uh, We have a website where we're managing a community. We have in-person events at every pay-per-view. We're trying to create unique content for them. So it's a lot like what you would see with uh, someone's individual Patreon where someone's paying a subscription to get this content that's unique and behind the scenes. But instead, we're building this community behind it. So every day, like I log in and there's just tons of posts of people sharing the things that are happening with their life, things that are that they really enjoyed on Dynamite this week and all of that stuff. And it's just been super, super great to see it grow. And we've had crazy, crazy growth. I think we've grown like 300 percent in the last year. How do you find the conversation sort of changes when talking about wrestling in a community that is curated for women? What does that look like? I think a lot of the conversations come down to who people are watching wrestling with. Like women are primarily the caregivers in their homes, so their kids are getting into wrestling. They're enjoying wrestling with their spouses or partners. I see a trend of people looking at the characters or people looking at the growth. Like there's a huge support for a women's division. Everyone's been looking at like how great Ruby's gotten in the last few months, how awesome Willow is, like all of these women who came into AEW sort of later that are just propelling themselves and being awesome on TV. I find also that there's a lot of just positivity and inclusion. So if someone's having a bad day or whatever, they'll post about it. And then everyone else comes up like, no, 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 you're fine. You got this. You're a badass, whatever. And just a lot of affirmations that are really good to help build the community. And I see that a lot more in this space than I do on somewhere like Twitter. And I think part of that is just because it's curated and it's people who actually care about building the community because we're asking people to spend money. They obviously want the best out of it. So a lot of it is like the community is just managing itself and like, no, this is what we do here. We're very inclusive. We care about everybody. Like we have people who are trying to become pregnant and are running into uh, IVF issues. We have people who are in the process of transitioning. We have people who have kids who are in the process of transitioning. So it's like all of these things that are super unique that we go through day to day that we all need support with, but we all care about wrestling. Like that's sort of the thing that brings us together, but we don't shy away from the things that make us unique. I love that. That's really, really cool, especially during times of all those things you rattle off where it's like, oh, my God, I need to talk to somebody. These people have become my people. There's also, I'm sure, something kind of nice about having a little bit of that veil of anonymity while you're on there to speak freely, to have those conversations. That's yeah, that's really, really cool that you guys have put that together. Um, Okay, so you talk about what it's like in that heels community for women in that space. Now, for you. As the only female referee in AEW and the the career that you've been able to carve out for yourself, how did this all come about? Like I first met you at the May Young Classic when you were coming into ref and I was like trying to get notes and like all this stuff to put together for me and Beth calling those matches with Michael Cole. But where does wrestling come into your life? I mean, you talk about working in gaming and working in all these other different jobs. How did wrestling become the thing for you? So I never watched wrestling growing up. It was not a thing in my household. My dad said it was stupid and it was fake and we should never watch it. So I never grew up with that. I always grew up with video games. As you can probably tell, I was a straight A student. (laughs) (laughs) I've always sort of been that person. Uh, I was a ballerina. I was into all of these other things. So it was after I graduated college 
there was a WrestleMania, I think it was 27, where The Rock and Stone Cold were coming back. And all of my friends, who I have a lot of dude friends because of video games, they had all watched wrestling as kids and had fallen out of it. And this was the thing that got them back into it. Oh, Rock and Stone Cold are coming back. We got to watch this thing. And so we treated it like the Super Bowl where everyone brings over something. We had like a box pool, like we're trying to figure all this out. And I literally have no idea what's happening. Like I'm Googling why the streak for The Undertaker is such an important thing. (laughs) Because I'm like, isn't it predetermined? Like why is a streak a big deal? (laughs) So there was a lot of things I didn't know. And I just sort of like got into it from there. And as you're watching every week, you start of understanding like the process and the storylines and you get attached to the characters. And that was right around the time that Brian Danielson was like on his ascension. So I really connected with him. And then as you're Googling Daniel Bryan, you're finding all of these like, oh, what's Ring of Honor? What is independent wrestling? Like, this is insane. There's this whole world that's opened up. So I started like traveling the country to watch wrestling. Oh, I my started, gosh. Yeah, I was I went deep into it. I go 100 percent in everything I do. There's a whole <laughs> there's a trend here. So I got really, really into it. But I had never thought this was going to be something that I did. I was very content in my career. I was very content with ballet. I was content with everything else I was doing. And then we were at an indie show in Seattle. And they had announced during like intermission that they were opening a school and were going to start training. And my husband just looks at me and goes, I need to do this or I'm going to regret it the rest of my life. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, great. Well, you go do that. I'll be a supportive wife. I'll go to your shows. It'll be great. And that's literally what we did for a year and a half is that he started wrestling. He was doing his gimmick, all that kind of stuff. And right around the time that I turned 30, I left dance for a number of reasons. And I was looking for something else to fill that time. And I've always loved performing. And because I'm already going to this show every two weeks, I have relationships with these people backstage. They know me. So the head ref at this indie was like, have you ever thought about refing?" I'm like, no, why would I do that? That seems silly. Don't you just stand there and yell rules at people? He's like, you should try it. I think you'll like it. I tried it. Uh, I was terrible. I went in my car and cried after. I'm like, this is so dumb. I don't understand. Love a good car cry. There's nothing like a good car cry. (laughs) It's it's so just thrilling. I love it. Um, But then I tried it again. Tried it a third time. Really liked it. Uh, They put me on a show two weeks later. Uh, By the end of the year, I was doing indies in Canada and Oregon. And then within the first year of me refing, I was doing tryouts at NXT. It's so funny to me how like one thing just leads to another, leads to another. And like now here you are like it sounds very simplistic to say it like that. But like it always just blows my mind. I love hearing people's stories like that of just like you follow a path down one way. I mean, even for me getting into wrestling, like it wasn't the thing that I sought out. But all of a sudden, I'm like in it and I'm like, wait, I love this. This is great. And you just like, yeah, you go all in, fully commit. And now here we are. John Jones returns to the Octagon this Saturday to face off against Cyril Gunn with the heavyweight championship on the line. And FanDuel wants you to get in on the action. Right now, new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars that's one thousand dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win bet on who will win how they will win when the fight will end and so much more i am so excited to see john jones back in the octagon but honestly cyril gone's kind of my guy going into this one so don't miss out on your chance for a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars when john jones takes on cyril gone for the heavyweight title exclusively on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets, which expire in 14 days. Max bonus $1,000. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Okay, so you're in it. Now you get to referee. 
Brian Danielson matches. Oh, my God. How wild. (laughs) Okay, so you have seen your fair share of some like gnarly shit in the ring. Are there moments that you're going, ooh, I don't know. Do I got to throw the X up? Like when you're in those moments and it's just so gruesome and there's so many different things happening. How do you kind of evaluate that during that moment when there's lights, there's cameras, people are yelling, there's so much shit going on. How do you focus on that? People are yelling in your ear because you're getting time cues and all this stuff. So there's like you're trying to just maintain this sense of calm and focus. And I think honestly, that's like the big thing when it comes to being a ref on TV is having that calmness that goes with it. For instance, recently there was the the girls match where like Ruby's got that giant crimson mask, right? So in the middle of the match, she doesn't know how much she's bleeding, but she sees the blood dripping onto the mat and she's like, am I okay? I'm like, dude, you look so good right now. (laughs) Like, I'm just trying to like pump her up. I'm like, just wipe it off your eyes. Don't wipe it off your face. It looks good. But there's like a certain level of blood where you have to start being concerned, right? And she wasn't there. But you also have Dr. Uh, Samson ringside. So he's there to sort of like, if you were to Are come you in- kind of gauging him? Like you're kind of giving him the eyes every once in a while to be like, are we cool? Yeah, because there's a lot of things that like I'll see that he won't see. So like if there's a dive to the outside opposite stage, like he may not actually see how that collision happens. So I give him a quick cue of no, 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 they're all okay. So he's watching intently. And then I have a way to communicate to him if anything were to like seriously go wrong. But there's an intensity and a gruesomeness that is okay. So like I've pulled barbed wire out of Eddie Kingston's body when they did that like barbed wire everywhere match. Been there, girlfriend. Oh, my God. Yeah. Where you're just like, okay, he literally can't move because he's barbed wired to a boar right now. And I have to like pull this out of him on TV. But you can't freak out. The moment you freak out, everyone else freaks out. So you have to remain that sense of calm in this chaos so that everyone can kind of stay cool and just focus on their thing, which is telling a story. And there are instances where people do get injured. It's really unfortunate, but we've seen it happen. Like even when people do moves thousands and thousands of times, sometimes it just doesn't go right. Gravity is a cruel bitch. But when those situations happen, you just kind of have to be on top of it and understand like someone's going through something right now. We need to just remain calm. We need to come in, figure out how bad it is. And if the match needs to stop, the match needs to stop. That's what they do in pro sports. Like when there's a concussion in football, you just stop the play. They go to commercial. And that's what we should be doing because every injury we have is important and is critical for us to figure out how bad it is and to address it as quickly as possible. What is your reaction to um, the criticism that you had received, I guess, uh, in terms of like becoming like a bigger character? We always think of refs being in the background. You're not really supposed to notice them. And that has not been what your career has been. What was your reaction to that initially when that started happening? I think when it first started happening, it was obviously something that I'm just like, oh, Twitter eventually is going to hate me because I'm a woman. So that's going to just happen. And I'm really good about not listening to criticism that doesn't matter. I listen to constructive criticism. And that's sort of where I've been focused. Like, if Jericho is putting me in a match and he's shoving me and then wants me to shove him back, I'm going to do it because it's ultimately not my decision. It's his decision because it's his story. And I'm there to help elevate the story that he's telling. So it's not like I tried to be a character. It was just sort of like they figured out that I have a very go-getter personality and I'm very no-nonsense. And as people picked me in matches, they're like, oh, well, if I shove her, I get a lot of heat for that. So let's do that. Cool. Great. And it just sort of happened naturally. But it was never something I intended it was just something that happened because the wrestlers asked me to do things in matches and I do them. Have there ever been moments of like other refs giving you shit of like, because you like you are your own character, like you really do have your own spotlight. Is there ever like any animosity amongst referees for that? I mean, I get none at AEW because all of the guys are freaking great. Like they're just all absolutely incredible. But I will hear some criticism online from other referees that are like on the indies and stuff. And I'm like, dude, why are you criticizing people on TV? Don't you want a job? (laughs) It just doesn't like I just I don't focus on the criticism. I just focus on how silly people are. They're like, why are you criticizing something online? If you're then shooting me a DM about getting a job at AEW, like we're not going to do that. You just shit all over me. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, the moment has passed. Um, you are obviously a perfectionist. Do you stress yourself out? How do you like, how do you manage perfectionism? I manage it by knowing that I'm not always in control of everything. So it's hard to strive for perfection when you are not 100% the person that leads to the end goal. As I said, wrestlers are the ones who are telling the story. There's only so much I can do in a match. There's an ability where I can say, okay, well, my performance was really good there, but I could have done these things different. And I feel like you don't have complete control over that because so many other things are happening. Like if the match didn't necessarily go so well, I'm going to feel that. I don't really feel like I can hit perfection because the match wasn't perfect. I think perfection is unobtainable. And once I realized that, now I'm just focused on progress. That how can I be better? How can I improve what I'm doing? How can I be better at my craft? How can I make an impact at this company and in wrestling and be the best version of myself? Because perfection is just, if you try to chase that, you're just going to constantly be disappointed. Yeah, it's funny. I would always think, I don't know, I'm pretty like laid back. I don't think I'm that personality. And now I'm like, oh my God, bitch, you are. That is you. Like, I constantly am like, I try to do everything. I really try to do everything. And I try to do it to like the highest degree. And sometimes I'm just like, yeah, you got to like pick and choose those moments of like when you can just kind of like sit on your heels a little bit. No pun intended. Um, talk to me about the ballet life. You did it for a very long time. I remember you posted not all that long ago about like missing it and posting like a video of you as a ballerina, but for doing it for so long and then deciding to walk away from it. Why did you decide to walk away from it? So I did classical ballet for 22 years. I still am at the point where I danced longer in my life than I didn't dance. So it's kind of crazy to think that it was such a huge part of my life and I've just sort of dropped it and walked away. I had aspirations when I was younger, like around high school age, to become a professional dancer. But ballet at the time, it's, it, it sort of changed a lot now, but at the time, ballet was still very traditional. You had to look a certain way, you had to be a certain size in order to be successful. And I was strictly doing classical ballet. Like if you do hip hop, you do lyrical, you do contemporary, there's a lot more opportunities for dance in different media forms. But if you're strictly looking at like ABT or New York City Ballet or any sort of city-based ballet program, you're going to be looking for classical ballet. And part of the problem is I was too tall and I was too curvy. So there was no way I was going to hit that role. And it seems so silly to say because I'm 5'7", but part of the problem is when I'm in point shoes, I'm 5'10". So very classical choreography requires the guy to be taller than you so that he can like do the things like twirl you and dip you and all those fun things. And if the guy's not taller than 5'10", then I'm screwed. And if the guys are, say, my height, then the classic choreography doesn't work anymore. So I became very limited in what I could do. So right around the time I was graduating high school and I'm looking for something to do, I'm like, well, you know, ballet's cool and all. I'm going to have a really hard time with it. My career is only going to last till I'm like late 30s, potentially. There's only so much money. I need a backup plan. And that's why I went into video games. But I kept dancing my whole life because it was something that I loved. Right around the time I was, I think, late 20s, I created a nonprofit with a bunch of other dancers. And we work to make dancing more accessible to communities who didn't have access to it because dance is very expensive. You need to have access to classes if you don't have a way to drive to classes. When you're rehearsing for a, a play or, or, or really anything, there's performance fees. You have to buy your costume. You have to buy your makeup. Uh, your parents need to buy tickets. There's all of these costs that come with it. And people who maybe don't come from privileged backgrounds don't have access to that art. So we would do performances and we would do classes with local organizations. And one of the groups we worked with was the Boys and Girls Club. So we would go, we teach classes for free. We'd give them a routine. We bought them costumes. We put them on stage. We gave their parents as many tickets as they wanted. And we basically gave them the entire experience from beginning to end without spending a dime. And that was sort of the thing that we did. The problem with that is that the artistic director was an emotionally abusive asshole. You're getting the full ballet experience, everybody. 100%. Oh, an artistic director is mean to you? Welcome to ballet. That was the thing that killed it for me. It was, I'm doing this wonderful thing, giving back to my community, giving back to dance, doing it in a way that makes me feel good. Why do I feel like shit and I'm crying on the phone with this guy every three months? 
Like this doesn't make any sense. And honestly, like from that point, the video I posted on Instagram was like the last show I did. After that, I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. How hard was it for you to come to that conclusion and to like hang up those slippers for the last time? It was really hard. There was a number of other girls in the group as well who were sort of feeling the same way I was. So it was a lot of late nights talking about things, doing a couple shots, trying to figure out like what we were going to do about it. So I wasn't the only one that walked away. There was a few of us. And I think that made it a lot easier because it wasn't just me. It wasn't me questioning, am I reading this situation the right way? It was other people feeling it the same way. And I'm like, okay, I feel a little bit better about walking away because this is exactly how I read it. So I just need to go. And you know what? I think once your like mind and body have both kind of landed on that conclusion, it's like it's just it's done at that point. On top of that, I'm also 30 and ballet is rough on your body. And I'm just like, I, my, my feet don't look right. I'm sore all the time. I'm not making any money doing what's, this. What's like, the bunion situation? Oh, I've got him. I've, I've got him in spades. I asked that because I grew up, I played ringette my whole life, which is like hockey. So I wore skates always. My feet are trashed. Does it kill you on a plane when you get off a plane? Are your feet like, mm. not really. I think my whole body hurts when I get off a plane because I'm on a plane <laughs> for hours. Okay, how the how okay, so you've stayed in Seattle. You love it. We'll get into all of those things, but travel from Seattle every week is grueling. How do you cope with this? So all of those things I do at AEW, heels and games and all that, requires a lot of email and follow-up. So I spend my time on planes doing all of that work. So Mondays, for instance, I have anywhere between four and six meetings. So Tuesdays when I'm traveling for multiple hours, I'm just following up with all of that stuff. So if action items come out of a meeting, I'm probably going to wait until tomorrow to do it. And then as I'm sitting on this four and a half hour flight to go somewhere, like, okay, cool, I'll, I'll answer email then. So it's one of those, I just stay focused on things and you don't necessarily notice the flight. I actually had a hard time when we, earlier this year, like after the Seattle show, we did a couple West Coast shows. And the flights are so short for me. It's like an hour and a half, two hours. Like I had a direct flight to Fresno. Like nobody else had a direct flight to Fresno. Some people had Fresno to take like two layovers. Me. It took oh me forever God. to get home from Fresno. Oh my God. Yeah, I had a direct flight to Fresno, which was like an hour and a half. So for me, I actually got really behind on work that week because I've come to the, like my, my habit is now, okay, I put it off everything till Tuesday. I do it there. And I'm just not as productive in hotel rooms as I am on planes. Would you ever leave Seattle? I don't know if I would. I moved up here for college. I've been here for almost 18 years now. Wait, where did you grow up? In Northern California. Oh, okay. I thought you were like Seattle tried, tested, and true. No, if you actually look at my phone, my area code is not a Seattle area code. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So I grew up there. I moved up to Seattle for college. Uh, it's where I met my husband. All of my friends, like I'm still really, really close to. They were all my college roommates. I'm seeing their kids grow up now. So like I'm I'm Aunt Brittany to them. Like they they uh, one of them actually just learned that I'm not actually related to her. She's like, wait, what? It was like, even though like we go on Thanksgiving vacations together, she just assumed like I was actually her aunt. And I'm like, no, oh, buddy. Yeah, it was it was real <laughs> adorable. And I'm like, oh, this is this is so cute and precious. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. Sweet little thing. Oh, my gosh. Um, OK, so you're I just had something I was going to ask you. And I just drew a blank on it. What was it? Something about being in Seattle, not being in Seattle. Oh, would I ever move? Um, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would. Like, I think that was part of the problem with when I was doing all the NXT tryouts. There's always the idea of like, what if they pick me? What if I get this job? Okay, I guess I have to pick up and move to Orlando. And I would have done it, but I don't really like Orlando. I know a lot of people do, but it's way too humid. I don't like constant heat. I grew up in California and I moved away, so that should tell you something. But it's one of those like, if that's what I need to do to be successful, then I'll do it. But AEW has just afforded me the opportunity of you can stay where you are, you can live where you want to live, and we'll fly you wherever. So I've kind of accepted that. If I want to live here, I have to take long flights. Uh, part of that, though, is like I book my flights way in advance just so I can try and save the company as much money as possible. Stuff like that. But like if Tony tomorrow said, hey, I need you to move to Jacksonville, like I do it in a heartbeat because I love this job. What about your husband? I mean, he really likes Seattle. <laughs> 
Um, part of it too is like he works in games still. That's, yeah, so we, that's we, like a kind of a hub to be in, right? Right. That's why I came to college here. There's a college in uh, Redmond, which is where Microsoft is headquartered called DigiPen Institute of Technology. And they're an undergrad program that actually teaches you how to make video games. So a normal college degree is, say, 120 credits. My bachelor's in computer science was 154. So it is heavily accelerated. There's a lot of math and physics. My electives are like string theory and statistics. The fuck is string theory? I don't even know what that is. It's a physics thing. I'm not going to go into it. No, let's not. <laughs> it, I, th- this will go downhill very quickly. It'll just be a lot of nods and grunts. Not a clue. Not a clue. But yeah, so we met there and... Part of that is like you come here for the work, similar to how a lot of people move to Orlando to become wrestlers. Like this is where that industry is. So he's working on stuff and where his future is, is here. Part of the advantage, though, is since the pandemic happened, there's just so many more opportunities for remote work that I feel like it wouldn't be disruptive if we had to move. It would just suck. Sure. But I love a good little adventure, too. There's something very fun about that, about like... Moving to a new place, checking things out. Um, okay, you've been married. You've been how long have you been married? Been married. Uh, I'd actually be like thirteen years next month. Holy moly! How do you guys do it? What's the secret to marriage success for you guys? I think part of it is we're the same person. Like we're both super driven and we're both super competitive. So it just makes sense when I'm like, "Hey, I'm going to do this thing." Okay, cool. How do I help? And we've just been very supportive in the things that we want to do. Like I said, when he's like, oh, I want to try wrestling. Cool. Great. I'm going to be a supportive wife because that's what you need. There was no question or there's no asking permission. It's I'm going to do this thing. Cool. I'm going to support you because you clearly have an interest in that. So when I got my AEW contract, it was like, hey, I think I'm going to do this thing. He's like, cool. Just let me know how much money you're making now so I can update the budget. And that's it. Communication is a really big one, right? Like they always say cliche, like communication's huge and all that stuff. I'm obviously a very schedule-based person. If you looked at my calendar today, it'd be disgusting. But part of that too is scheduling time with your partner and making sure that you're taking time together. So Saturday we hung out, we drove out to, you know, the boonies somewhere. We watched like Emperor's New Groove in the car, like just stupid <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but it's one of those like spending time in the same space yeah. where we're not talking about work. That stuff's really important for maintaining a relationship. If you're not able to communicate, not able to talk, work things out. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly like, I probably drive John crazy. I'm like, let's, what's happened with this? Let's talk about this thing. He's like, okay, can you just give me a second? <laughs> can you give me a second? But 17 years together, that's very impressive. 13 yeah. years married. Hats off. Thank you. Um, that NXT experience, um, what was that tryout experience like for you? What do they put you through for a tryout like that versus what kind of happened with AEW? Uh, it was terrifying. So the way my tryout sort of worked was it was like four separate times, I think a total of say like 16 days. So I was brought out with, and, and they told me up front, like we're looking for more referees for May Young Classic. So I knew that was sort of the the carrot that I was working towards. They brought me out in, I think it was either June or July for a whole week. They just said, we want to see you in a class structure. We want to see you working with the other refs and we want to give you the full referee experience. So they had reached out to me partly because Jessica Carr, who's refereeing now on SmackDown, uh, we knew each other from various like talking on Twitter or whatever. So she had given my name as like, this is another potential female referee. So I came in and that week DDP was at the performance center And they're just like, we're going to do yoga every day. And I'm like, I am going to nail this because I've been doing yoga since I was 12. There was like a push-up contest at one point where like you do a five count down, hold for five counts, come back up. And if you like fall or delay, like you're out. And I was like, I got this. And the only people that beat me were Lacey Evans and Shayna Baszler. (laughs) (laughs) Fair, fair enough. I'm like, I did okay. I'm okay with this. Uh, That was the same week that they were filming NXT. So I got to do a dark match. Before their TV tapings, I also like in between commercials and stuff, I got to run out and help talent after matches and whatnot. It was just a really cool experience to see the whole thing and what day in the life of a referee was. And then once I was done with that week, they messaged me and said, we want to bring you in for May Young. It's going to be a full week in August. So I go out and I'm just doing the same thing, like trying to just 
keep to myself, but be helpful where I can. And they gave me a ton of matches. That schedule was nuts. Uh, that was the first time I met Tony Storm. And I think she had had like four matches that same day. Oh, it wasn't her that got injured then. It was um, it was Tegan Knox. Tegan Knox. That's right. I was in that match. Shit. That was terrible. That was really scary. That was very scary. Like she gets hurt and I'm like, oh, God. I don't know what to do. How are we going to handle this? Everything stopped down. It was like you could hear a pin drop. You could. And I'm just trying to like focus on her. But at the same time, I don't work here. So like, what do I need to do to make sure she's as safe as possible? And it was just a whirlwind of, oh, God, this is crazy. And I think how I handled that situation had an impact in kind of the other times that I got brought in. I got brought in for a coconut loop. So you do like the three... Florida shows on a weekend where you're driving around like Dade City and a couple others. Uh, so I did that. I got to do a couple tag matches. Uh, they had me do the North American Championship at one point, which was wild. And then they brought me in for the pay-per-view. And I got to do the uh, Battle Royal, which was super dope. What is the worst type of match to referee? Which ones are your husband? And I- <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I think the the worst ones are the ones that have a lot of different things going on. So where you have a Falls Count Anywhere match or, or a Falls Count Anywhere match with multiple teams because you could have guys over here in the rafters doing something. You have Sting jumping off through a bunch of tables and you've got guys on the ramp doing other stuff. So you're trying to manage everything happening at the same time, but also trying to just make sure that you're still telling the story, that you're still sticking to times, making sure these guys are safe. So I, I'd say like for me, that's sort of the hardest one, just because there's so many different eggs that you're trying to keep in a basket and they all keep falling out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that that's very stressful. The most stressful, actually, the most stressful is blood and guts. Hands down, because you have two referees on the outside. You're trying to give time cues to people that are 20 feet away. It is so structured with the every five minutes a new person comes out. It's an hour long, so you're tired. <laughs> and then people get to the top of the cage. You can't talk to them because they're too far away. There's just so many things that you have to manage at the same time that it's so incredibly stressful. Do you know who's going to be refing the Iron Man match yet? That'll be Bryce. And I know that he's been spending some time on the Stairmaster, uh, building up the cardio. Holy moly. How do you unwind after refing matches like that? Like when you get back to the hotel room, show's over, makeup's off. What do you do? I call my husband. I tell him about my day. I eat food and I go to bed. It's <laughs> super That's boring. Very <laughs> right. It's I'm, I'm actually a really boring person. Like I like going to bed early. I, I just want to catch up and whatnot. It's It's hard because there's a lot of times where We'll do post-show stuff like with pizza and whatnot. And I just have a really hard time just because I am up so early. I'm trying to hit the gym. I'm trying to answer my email. I get to the venue early. There's a full day of stuff. I'm doing three or four matches a day. And that wears on you. By the time I get to the hotel, I'm just tired. That post-show adrenaline is so real. And I'm trying to just wind down. It's a lot. I mean, like we said at the very beginning, it's like not only are you refing these matches, but you have all of these other things to do as well. Sometimes it's nice to just like unplug and like take yourself out of those social situations a little bit because it's still you're still hanging. It's yeah, it's just still energy output that you just need to like shut it down. You're spending all day around hundreds of people. And then by the time you're performing, you're around thousands of people. So There's so much stimulus happening that I'm just dead at the end of the day. So I didn't know this, but Emilio, my producer, messaged me in the chat of our Zoom here saying that you were known as a Daniel Bryan crying girl. Oh, my God. Yes. So (laughs) what is this? I don't know what he's talking about. So Google it. Uh, (laughs) Literally Google Daniel Bryan crying girl. So the, the day that Bryan retired, where it was a bra in Seattle. I was literally sitting at a bar. There's an awesome Mexican place across the street from Climate Pledge, like drinking like a 32 ounce margarita. And I see on Twitter that Brian's retiring and he's my favorite wrestler. And I'm just like, oh God, like I was not ready for this today. This is terrible. (laughs) And like they close with the promo. It's a super emotional thing. So I'm literally crying in the front row and I paid good money for those tickets. I'm just like, oh God. And at one point I see this camera come up to me and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, this is happening. You see the red light go on. And I'm like, this is when the floods was starting to happen. So they're, they're about to catch this shit. And I just start crying. And so there's this gif of me just like, 
<laughs> Which is why, like, refing Brian's matches now is so insane. Especially I did, I did his one in Seattle that was, like, literally I sat there, saw your ass retire, and I'm in the ring with you. How privy were you to knowing that he was coming into AEW? I had no idea. Um, I was actually backstage in the go position at the end of the show uh, at All Out. And Bryce comes up to me and says, do you know who's here today? I'm like, I've heard rumors. And he goes, he's over there. And I turn and there's Brian freaking warming up. I'm just like, okay, (laughs) cool. This is happening. And this is like after Cole had come out. So everyone's already just like, ah, like on high alert and shit. Oh my God. What is your relationship with Brian like now that you've got to spend time with him? You've got to, you've got to referee his matches. How has it been? I mean, we're super professional. I would say like we're not like buddy-buddy close, but I love working with him. He's a real funny guy. Like he just has like his jokes that he tries to like drive home and tell everybody. He talks about flaccid penises a lot. What is that? What is that? I don't know, but it's it's hilarious. <laughs> I love it. Um, but there are very few people that are that into wrestling. Like Dax Harwood is probably the other guy, but that's like literally all Brian thinks about is wrestling. So when you're working with him, he's thought about every little thing that he's doing. But he's also one of those guys that's really giving, where when he's with an opponent, he's making sure that that opponent has all of their offense in and all of their moves set in. So he's finding ways to really present the best possible match. So working with him is fantastic because I get a new understanding of wrestling psychology. I have an awesome match I can work. And I'm working with a guy who is literally my favorite wrestler when I started watching wrestling. What a dream. It's wild. Well, Aubrey, listen, I'm so pumped that I got to have you on here. You're a fascinating human being. It's fun kind of figuring out how you tick and how your your inner working all kind of comes together. You do an absolute killer job as a referee in AEW while wearing all these other hats. Um, yeah, just great to have a little hang with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for being the start of my morning. <laughs> yes. Get that black coffee. Get that yoga. Get it going. Oh, my God. Already like three cups in. <laughs> All right, I'll see you at TV. Yes. Thanks to Aubrey for hanging out with me, and thank you guys for listening. I appreciate everybody tuning in. You know what's really nice? I sometimes read the comments that you guys leave on like Apple or Spotify, like the the ratings. Ah, oh, really sweet. You guys are great. If I just want like a little. Is it a serotonin boost? Is that what the right boost is? Anyways, it makes me very happy. It's like a little vitamin D. Vitamin D! Just kidding. Um, no, I do love it. So thank you guys for, um, for putting some nice comments out there. And just for listening. I really love seeing your guys' feedback and stuff online, social media. Um, you know, when the episodes drop Tuesdays, Thursdays. If you guys are listening to them other days, whatever it is. I just, I love hearing that you guys are enjoying what we're putting out there. I love doing this show. As soon as, like, this red light is on and we hit that record button... Um, I feel like I just get in like my element and I I thoroughly enjoy doing that. So I appreciate you guys hanging out with me for uh, the duration of what we've been doing here. If there's more people you want to see on the show, um, maybe you should have a suggestions box. Yeah, we should have like a little like virtual suggestions box. I could probably get ugly pretty quickly, but I'm just thinking out loud. Any hoodles. Um, Until next episode, guys, this has been The Sessions.